Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to Unresolved Life. I'm Teresa Blaze. Today, I've got Mick Templeton. Mick, welcome to the show. Hey, Teresa. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, not a problem. How did you come to know the Lord? I grew up in uh, middle-class America in Spokane, Washington, and had a, uh, a family that would seem like the all-American family and did the normal things. But my family did not go to church. I, we were, I was not raised in church. I didn't go to church. And about fourth grade, a uh, little neighbor boy moved in down the street, and his daddy was a Baptist pastor. <laughs> and they had a vacation Bible school uh, one week during summer. And during that week that I attended, uh, at the end of the week, they had an invitation for people to invite Jesus into their heart. And it seemed right, you know. I mean, as, as much as a fourth grader would be able to understand or comprehend what it seems right. And uh, so I, I prayed and I got down on my knees and, uh, and prayed with my friend and asked Jesus into my heart. And uh, nothing significant happened at that point. I had a, like a mental awareness of God. Didn't uh, go to church after that for many years. And then somewhere around my uh, sixth, seventh grade year, uh, my parents had some pretty significant marriage trouble. And then my uh, uh, parents actually split up and began seeking the Lord at that time. And, and during that time, my, my dad uh, said that he found the Lord and uh, uh, my family started going to church. We went to an Episcopalian church, <laughs> which was a well, really... That's quite, that's quite a difference from uh, Baptist. Yes. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, it was re really pretty interesting. Uh, you know, going to an Episcopalian church. Went there for a year or two, and then um, I think my parents were looking for something a little more substantial, a little less traditional, a little less ceremonial. And uh, we got involved in a, a Bible study that was uh, taking place in people's homes, and it ended up being a cult. So my family was in a cult for about two years, two and a half years very uh, small. There was uh, an apostle or a prophet who was over several home churches in different cities kind of up here in the Northwest. And it wasn't very large, you know, a couple hundred people, some in Seattle. That's when things beget, began to get interesting. And even me as a, a ninth grader in junior high could read the Bible and uh, to some degree of understanding and then go to a meeting where the the uh, pastor would teach it and give a completely different explanation that was uh, given to them through divine revelation through the prophet. It completely, it seemed to contradict things, but it's what they said, and they had the revelation. After about two and a half years of that, we got out and uh, left and began to see the error of the ways, and then um, ended up going to uh, a, a smaller. I ended up being somewhat uh, charismatic or Pentecostal in ways, and that was a huge variation again. And um, I saw some really amazing things. I mean, I, I saw miracles. I saw healings take place, but I don't think they had a really good handle on scriptural you know, theology or understanding. I don't want to say doctrine because doctrine almost seems like a bad word these days. But uh, It I, shouldn't be, but it, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it shouldn't be. But um, they, I didn't know what they believed. I didn't know what to believe at this point. But I knew that God was real. I saw some amazing things. I experienced some amazing things. But I did not really understand. I knew that 
you know, Jesus was the son of God, but I didn't really understand his true nature, his origin, or, you know, even his total uh, mission, you know, what his purpose was. And so after I got saved, uh, you know, in fourth grade, it seemed like we went on a gauntlet and experienced many different, um, you know, church experiences. And when I graduated high school, that's when I decided to go down to uh, a school in Anaheim that I'd heard about. They had some really great teachers and professors. Some of the names I was aware of, like uh, Walter Martin was there. Um, Hal Lindsey was more of a teacher. I don't know if he was, he wasn't really a theological professor in my mind, but he was very popular in pop, you know, um, theology at that time, especially about the second coming and probably one of the most well-known authors and speakers in the Christian era at that time. And uh, Like Great Planet Earth was a huge book that he had, actually became a movie. But anyway, so I went to Bible college, and I, I really wanted to find out how to understand the Bible, how to read it. I'd seen people read it and explain it in so many different ways, but uh, I needed to find out how to find out what the truth is and, and get some guidance and so I could know uh, what to believe because of all the different you know, divergent you know, experiences that we've had. You said that your family got involved in a cult, and I kind of want to hit on that. How did you come to the realization that what you guys were in was actually a cult? Well, it kind of started with their exclusiveness and how they would begin to isolate you uh, from people on the outside that didn't believe or agree with, even if it was a family member. You know, if they if you had a close family member that wasn't agreeing with this or that was in rebellion, you know, so to speak, is how they put it. They, they needed to be, you know, distanced, you know, and they were the only right church, you know, no, no other church was right. They, they had a corner on absolute truth. They had divine revelation. And I think really the, the uh, exclusiveness of closing off outsiders who didn't really believe in what the, the church was doing or agree with you know, their leadership or their doctrine. By the time you reached Bible college, were you still kind of, because you had so many, uh, I would say, alternative theologies running around in your head, did you have a, a question of, okay, what do I believe, even in going into, into college? Yes, absolutely. I, I could not spell out any doctrine or theology that was really very clear to me. I didn't. I didn't really know what theology was. I knew it was the study of God, but I didn't know there were things like systematic theology and hermeneutics, like how, how to interpret scripture. Hermeneutics is just a, a discipline in the study of the Bible on, on reading things in context, in proper culture, in the total paragraph, in the total chapter, you know, in the complete concept of what the writer was trying to say and not take things out of context and so there was some basic understanding and some basic guidelines that helped uh, get clarity when you read the Bible and, and really how to understand it. And that's really what I was hungry for. I, I, I believe that God was real because he had really touched me, you know, and I do interviews sometimes where I'll take a camera and I'll set up and try and go on college campus and talk to kids and, and I'll ask them, you know, what they think about the Bible or, you know, and, and I get a lot of interesting comments. And one young man said to me, he says, I believe the Bible is the word of God because it works. And I'd never really heard that. Or, you hey, know, I like that response. Yeah, I'd never really thought of that in the apologetic sense. But for me, that's what I knew as a junior high and high school student in amidst of confusion and not knowing what to believe is I knew that when I got alone with God and I didn't 
know that I knew how to pray right. I just knew that you needed to talk to God. There were times when I could say that God absolutely came through for me, that he answered prayer. Even though I didn't understand everything or all the mechanics of it, God met me. There were times that I felt his peace. You know, I felt his love. I felt his comfort. There were very specific times that you could you could sense a touch of God. And, and you know, for uh, you know, somebody who's young and growing up and not schooled and not, you know, taught in a, in a really uh, healthy Christian environment. That was important to me. And that's really all I had to go on is I knew that God was real. I knew that I loved him, but I really didn't know the truth about him. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm recalling uh, when, when Jesus and, you know, he goes around and he picks and he starts picking his boys to tag along with him. Uh, he didn't, call all the guys that had it all together yes yeah i heard somebody say once that jesus uh, doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called Mm -hmm. i've heard that too but uh, the thing that strikes me is you know you weren't schooled and everything right away but you decided in eight hey you know if i believe in god i gotta i need to talk to him i need to get to know him um and i would say a lot of people do not have that innate knowledge yeah, and I would have to credit that to, I don't know how to say, just the hand of God just touching me at different points in my life. Even when I didn't understand and there wasn't clarity, that doesn't mean that he's not real. Just because I don't have all my nuts and bolts and algebra all figured out exactly how to formulate all the things of God. There was just something about him that was real, that touched me in a way that I could not deny. His, his, the reality of his peace and his love that touched me in honestly a pretty dysfunctional family life and things were pretty messed up was really significant to me. And uh, the peace, you know, the scripture said there's a peace that passes all understanding. And I knew what that meant at a very young age. It passes all understanding because I, there was no way that I should have felt peace in some of the circumstances or situations or things that I suffered. But because the very nature of Jesus is peace, because he was with me, I felt peace, even though my circumstances were anti-peace. They didn't, they didn't dictate peace to me. It's not because everything was right or good or correct. And I found that even in really difficult circumstances and trying times, even some in abusive situations, when you can pray and cry out to God, he can bring peace. No matter what you're in, it's, it's not conditional upon all the right factors and my behavior and earning it. It's essentially just accepting the presence of him and who he is. So, okay. So what happened once you, I mean, you leave Bible college and you, you get a degree or I don't know, um, degrees or whatever. So what happened to you once you left Bible college? Um, well, I, w- I went to a year of this college down in uh, Anaheim and then I came back to Spokane and realized I wasn't, I mean, I got enough to get my foundation and my feet under me and was so excited for God and went and talked to all my friends that I talked to in high school and shared everything I had. And then I wound up going back to uh, a Bible college, went to uh, Pacific Life Bible College and went there for a couple of years. And I just fell short my senior year due to being married and having a baby and financial factors and other things. And I, I just fell short of finishing with the degree, but I did have several opportunities for ministry. So I did get into ministry. I was a youth pastor um, for about uh, seven years. I was licensed in a denomination that I was with and ended up being an associate pastor, assistant pastor, you know, youth pastor in uh, different churches, a couple of different churches that we were in. You told me off air that there was something that happened that affected you within the ministry. 
Oh man, there were several things. It was difficult, you know, to, um, you know, loving God with all my heart and going to Bible college to serve him and then seeing real difficult things take place on behind closed doors, you know, things that you just didn't expect to see. I guess I expected, I was a little naive (laughs) to say the least. And um, God began moving in some pretty significant ways. We uh, started seeing God answer prayer in some pretty big ways and uh, began even seeing some uh, miracles and healing uh, taking place. And uh, whenever that happened, whenever there were many salvations that started taking place, and um, I didn't wait for the formal baptisms with, uh, you know, high school, college age kids that I worked with, you know, when we had the opportunity, some of the kids wanted to get baptized right away. So we're about baptizing kids in the lake at midnight and doing different things. And we're more interested in just obeying Jesus and do what God called us to do than the formal uh, you know, ceremony, which there's nothing wrong with. I'm not, I'm not undermining that in any way. It's just to see the zeal and the excitement and people just wanting to obey Jesus right now and not wait or delay. And it was, you know, more about personal experiences, but, but um, what had happened was then we got to a point where uh, we uh, felt God was calling us to be senior pastors and I, and I wanted to pastor. And so we left the church where I was an assistant pastor and put our uh, information in. Uh, to pastor a church in the Northwest, we we contacted the division center. And when I was in the Tri-Cities, um, I actually had formulated a, uh, a winter retreat, if this is what you were thinking about when we spoke off air, a winter retreat. And um, we had 13 different churches, nine different denominations that we all came together. It was not a one denominational event. I just contacted all the youth pastors and said, hey, I need a retreat for my kids. We're getting breakthrough and I need something real. We all agreed. And so I you know, put a retreat together. We all met and man, the, you know, God came and met us in a powerful way. The band played and there was worship that was going on. The leader of the band stopped about an hour into the worship. It was just incredible. I've never seen anything like it before or after since that day. But he stopped and said, hey, right now, Pastor Mick is going to come and share the word. And I wasn't prepared to speak that night. I mean, just, the, you know, it was the opening night. We kind of had a speaker already and the band played. And I began walking towards the platform. His kids were clapping and shaking my head. No, I didn't have anything. He's like, no, no, come on up. I just feel like you're supposed to speak right now. And I'm like, Lord, what do I say? What do I say? And I heard the Lord speak to me immediately, very quickly. He says, tell them what I came to do. And I shared uh, the passage that Jesus um, uh, quoted in uh, Luke chapter four, which is out of Isaiah 61, where he said, you know, I have come, you know, to set the captive free and open the eyes of the blind and, and set at liberty those who have been bound. and and so I got up there, opened my Bible, and I said, Jesus Christ came to, you know, set the captive free and open the eyes of the blind. And that's not just physical, that's spiritual as well. There's a lot of things that we just can't see. We don't, we don't get, you know, we're trying to understand God and without a revelation of the Holy Spirit to make it real to us. A lot of times we just don't get it. And even if you are physically blind, Jesus is still opening eyes today. And so, I don't know, there was 214 kids there. And I'm guessing between 50 and 60 kids came forward to be prayed for. And uh, there was a girl who was blind in one eye and uh, was 19 years old. And she actually was the daughter of elders of one of the churches that I was a part of the denomination of in a different city. And um, as she came forward, they had barely begun prayer and uh, her eye opened and she could see out of her eye for the first time in 19 years. 
So what had happened was she was shaking so hard. We had to pray for it. it took almost another miracle to calm her down. I mean, I, I, I thought it almost might take a sedative or something. Well, Lord, you healed her. And now she's like, she's literally like shaking like the shivers and, and the place went stone quiet. And I, I just tried to speak to her and she couldn't speak. She was, you know, she pointed at people and she could, they covered her eye and point out your friends and she could do that. And the place just, you know, worshiped and praised God. And, you know, so many people had never seen a miracle like that. And I hadn't, you know, in my life, I'd never seen or been a part of anything. I saw that. And, um, and then shortly after that, there was another incident that took place in the church that I was in. A, a woman came into uh, the church to ask for money to go back to Ohio, I think it was. And she didn't have enough money. She was uh, deaf and her little machine that she had to help her communicate wasn't working. It was broken and she desperately needed help to get back and whatever. And the church office couldn't understand her and couldn't communicate with her. And they were trying to write down and I don't know what was working. So they called me and said, would you please take this lady and talk to her? And it was kind of a unique circumstance where even I was so frustrated trying to talk to her. And I think I could hear her and understand her well enough. And, um, but she couldn't understand me and I couldn't write fast enough in the middle of one sentence, she would ask another question. And so it was, it's pretty exasperating. <laughs> and so I, I took her into the sanctuary and they had some oil at the front of the sanctuary. And I said, I was so frustrated. I said, Lord, I just, and I felt God's compassion so present. And I anointed her with oil and prayed for her. And, um, uh, God opened both of her ears and she says, I hear something, but it's dull. I hear it's really dull. And so I prayed again and I, I prayed again and, and she says, I hear something, but it's really, it's really dull. I, I put my hand behind her head and was snapping my fingers. She said, but it's really dull. I says, can you hear me? And I covered my mouth so she couldn't read my lips or see me. She's, she says, I can hear you, but it's like muffled. She goes, oh, maybe it's the plugs they implanted in my ears. She said she had an accident about 15 years earlier. In it, the way that it broke bones in her jaw or her ears somehow, um, it damaged, it permanently damaged her eardrums. And they put plugs, they surgically implanted plugs in the ear canal to support the ear canal so her equilibrium would function in some way. And I don't understand that. That's not what I, I that's not my expertise. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll quit praying for that then. And Anyway, so she got back to Ohio and sent a letter to our church, went to the doctor who had implanted those 15 years earlier, removed him, and she had perfect hearing. So I, I say all that to say this. I was in a denomination that believed in the power of God. They believed in the healing of God and, you know, would even pray for people at times. But what happened is um, uh, two years later, now I'm down in Southern California wanting to open a church back up in the Tri-City area and submitted my information. Um, uh, we were denied uh, by the denomination and the, the one of the district leaders at the church that he didn't understand it, but was a local district supervisor and the pastors had said, no, we couldn't go. We couldn't open a church. We couldn't do that. And a few weeks later with a phone call from one of the pastors, you know, uh, explaining, he said, you, you can't come back here and start a church because we'll lose too many people out of our churches because the other church that, the denomination I was a part of at that time, um, the uh, d the girl who was healed was a daughter of elders in his church, and he was having a really dry time and really difficult. And he said, so I just wanted you to know, I don't want you to think it was all my fault, you know, just because of me. And I said, so you're telling me because of a miracle that God did. And he said it was because of the youth retreat. You were able to get all these different churches and people together because of the girl that was healed that was born blind. He says, you can't come back. We will lose too many people out of our church. And I, I essentially got my license 
pulled at that point and was done. And that is when my wife at that time left. And um, she had had enough of ministry. She'd had enough of the difficulties we had seen. And that was just a breaking point for her. And I had a three and a half year old and a five year old uh, little girls that I now was a single parent and had the, the wonderful privilege and opportunity of raising by myself as a single dad. So I was, 20, I was single for the next many years. And because of that, the miracles that got happened, I essentially got door shut and I, you know, blackballed, blacklisted, however you want to call it. But basically I was trying to steal people out of their churches, even though I was not in contact. I didn't even know this other pastor. I'd never spoken to him. And I, I only knew the youth pastor in his church because he was a part of the youth retreat we had in uh, Pasco, Washington. But I'd not been in contact uh, with people in their churches, but that was just a real breaking point. And uh, that was where I needed to go back to the drawing board. And man, I went through a divorce and that's, I mean, I met her at Bible college, we had kids together and that devastated me in every possible way. I mean, it, it broke me to the core and I, I didn't understand. And I thought I, I thought I knew God. I thought I understood. I thought if anybody had cause to get a real handle on God, it was me, but I found myself, um, having to go back to the drawing board because, you know, why was I experiencing so much difficulty, so much disappointment and things that seemed to went wrong or go wrong? Or why did, why were we finding these types of experiences, especially after I started having a degree of success in ministry and growing the youth groups, you know, and uh, seeing the youth groups grow and uh, spiritual maturity, which really is more important than the numbers. Numbers isn't always the the essence, you know, of the moment. It's not everything all the time. It's not always just the sign that you're doing the right thing of God, watching people actually grow in their love for God and their maturity. And when they begin to share their faith and you watch people that they know then become, you know, they they come to know Christ because of the significant changes that take place that are real. You know, rubber meets the road. The rubber doesn't meet the road. It's a waste of time, really. You know, and they begin to uh, you know, watch people mature in Christ. And it seemed like the more uh, progress and success that we had, the, the boat always got rocked, you know, that where the church I was on staff for some reason. And I, I found myself in hot water for one reason or another. And then when that final blow happened, it was just, it was, it was really difficult. You know, I am reminded as you talk about, about the difficulties and what led to, I mean, of all things, a divorce. I am reminded of that passage where, you know, Jesus uh, said, you know, even a prophet is not welcome in his own household. In this context, uh, it was the, the household being your congreg or your denomination. I had to go back to the drawing board, as I, as I said, and I had to think, okay, Lord, I thought by loving you and serving you that things were going to go my way, that you were just kind of going to run interference for me and you're going to put, you know, uh, William the Refrigerator Perry and, you know, 11 other guys just like him in front of me and just really keep a cleared path and I'll never get tackled. And boy, that was not the truth, <laughs> you know? So it's like, why did things keep going in a way that I didn't expect? And so I literally had to go back to the drawing board, just get on my knees before God. And I was mad. I was angry at God. You know, we have difficulties in life and God had been there to help me through those things. But now my difficulty in life, my problem was with God. I, I can so relate to that. I can so relate to that. I mean, and I think that that is, 
if people would just admit that that is the problem, and I, I'll be the first one to admit, I definitely had problems with with God. <laughs> you know, because he, he he appears to do something, and you're going, are you out of your ever-loving mind? <laughs> yeah. Do not understand the things that happen. I just clearly did not. And so I was really in a pickle because now my biggest problem in life was with God. And that's from my angst and my uh oh my emotional turmoil. I felt broken. I was afraid, you know. I I felt naked, I felt exposed, I felt vulnerable. And so I literally, I literally had to say in my mind, Lord, I need to go back to the drawing board. I gotta put aside everything that I thought I knew what it meant to know you. And I need to look at your word brand new all over again, because I, I don't understand this. And so I began reading and you know, rereading and I started coming across scriptures that, that my mind was now open to. He said, you know, if you desire to live a righteous life, you will be persecuted in this life. People who persecute me will come against you. He said, because they do not know me. Now, wait a minute. Persecution, that's just overseas, right? Yeah, that's overseas. Well, what happens is it's not. It's very real here in America. I've actually lost jobs that I was being hired for because I was a Christian. What they do is they shun you and they blackball you. They slander you. They find ways to shut doors, to shut you down, to shut you out. You get slandered. There are horrible things that are said about you. Um, especially churches today are so bad at shunning, you know, people, if you, if you don't agree with what the group is doing and you disagree, then you get shunned and, you know, churches then become all too cliquish, you know, in behavior, you know, and, you know, there is, um, scripture, um, that talk about if we have a sin where there's a fallout with a brother, the way to solve it is Matthew 18, 15 and 18. Right. I've actually used that model many a time in, in my walk. I've, had, I've actually had to use it uh, to confront even a pastor. And I'll tell you something, that's not something that's easy to do, but it is absolutely vital and it is absolutely necessary. Yes, you know, and I've had to do that. And when I did it, I'd never seen it done. I have never seen that actually practiced. It's not a discipline that's practiced. And I've heard mm-hmm. people say, well, that's not really necessary. We don't do it that way. But, you know, Jesus is the one who said, this is how you handle it. And it, it wasn't a way to excommunicate people from the church. Because this, you know, if you have, a, you know, if a brother has sinned against you, there's a follow-up, there's a break in the relationship. You know, he says to um, go to that person, don't tell anybody else. And that's, boy, that's just the opposite of what happens, you know? And he said, and if he won't hear you, take another person or two with you to talk to them. And then if they still won't hear you, take it before the church. And then if they won't hear you, treat them as an unbeliever or a tax gatherer. And I had to look at that and realize that Jesus has not given us a model to excommunicate people. He's given us a way to restore broken relationships. And this is how Jesus that we should handle it. What happens is people are supposed to go talk to that individual, but they don't. They talk to everybody else first, and that's a very destructive behavior. So, so you have this shunning practice that's used in church that has nothing to do with a biblical model, has nothing to do with the command of Jesus to restore relationships. It just brings more damage. It's actually, you know, slander, you know, and if you look up the word upbraiding, 
is not just to tell somebody off, but it means you're constantly bringing up something about that person to their face, maybe something that had happened, whatever. I mean, talk about unforgiveness, but it's where you, you, you're confrontational with somebody, with somebody in a destructive way in a way to bring up and beat them over the head, remind them. And that's what people do. And that's one of the things that they say, if you slander, you know, you lie, you backstab, you know, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, people quote other scriptures. There's a list of things in the New Testament that if we're sexually immoral or practice homosexuality or whatever, but they leave out that slander part, you know, or unforgiving or hateful towards a brother. They leave out those things, you know, because it's easier to judge the sin of somebody else that seems so obvious rather than to judge our own sin that's in our own life, you know? You know, and it's it's funny because if you if you actually look at that and you see the uh, not inheriting the kingdom of God, to me, that is one of the, most, the scariest statements because you read that and you go, oh, well, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Because I don't want to screw, I don't want to muck up. Yeah, exactly. So like when I read like Matthew 5.10, that was one of the verses he said, blessed are those, you know, who are persecuted because of righteousness sake, you know, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I began to feel the Holy Spirit going to tell me that I've been persecuted. Well, if I'm told that you can't start a church here because of a miracle that happened, how, how else am I supposed to look at that? And they said, well, it's because you'll take people from our churches. That was their excuse. But the that's problem not even, was, that's not even biblical. That's no, not even- no. And these were pastors. These were pastors that had told me, and they said, well, they've been trying to start a church in Pasco for 10 years. And I was bringing a full team of people in who had started churches and had experience. And uh, they actually had more experience than I did. And they were going to partner with me and start a new church. We weren't even asking for financial support from the denomination. And they said, man, this is a dream team. But then they called back you know, a week later and says, I'm sorry. And we don't know why, but the, the district superintendent over that area and those pastors have absolutely said, no, the door is closed. I've never seen anything like this. We don't know why. And so we just began praying and, and uh, praying and praying. And then uh, I think just out of conviction and guilt, one of the pastors called me to tell me, hey, it wasn't all my fault. It's when he found out and it was a girl that was you know, blind in his church, was healed. And he'll lose, he said he'll lose half his church if you come back here. So you can't come back. It wasn't all me. I mean, that, that was literally the phone call. Uh, that, that I had received out of such guilt, I think, I began to see that, okay, if you want to live righteous before Jesus will be persecuted. And, you know, and there's things that happen. And every time that Jesus healed somebody, look at what happened. He's in, he's in the synagogue and he sees a man with a withered hand. And it said that, you know, um, the Pharisees and the scribes looked at him angrily seeing, is he going to heal this guy? This is the Sabbath and he's not supposed to heal. And they were waiting for him with bated breath. And when he healed the guy, then it says they, they looked for a way, uh, um, you know, we have to find a way to stop this man. Jesus Christ healed a guy and they wanted to stop him. So I began to experience that. And I thought rather than people rejoicing and, and uh, being glad, man, be a part of our team. We're going to support you. This is awesome. And the things that God has done in your life, it was, boy, you can't come near where we're at, you know. And so, as I said, I literally had to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, I had expectations of what it was going to be like to walk with Jesus. And a lot of those expectations didn't happen. And I found that it was things that people had told me or sermons I had listened to about how great and wonderful and pie in the sky of what it was going to be like to serve Jesus. And that was not my experience. And J.I. Packer in his book called Knowing God 
actually has a chapter uh, towards the back of the book called These Inward Trials. And he talks about the difference between a palm tree, let's say in Los Angeles, and an evergreen tree at the top of the Rocky Mountains. He said that palm tree has sunshine, has water, has irrigated water systems, uh, you know, the the rains, uh, whatever. Um, And it has sunshine year round and water and uh, not very inclement weather. It's not really stressed. It's, you know, pretty, pretty uh, cheesy, you know, weather. And um, I don't think cheesy was the right word. (laughs) Pretty, pretty sunny uh, uh, Southern California weather versus, you know, uh, an evergreen tree at the, you know, top of the Rocky Mountains where, uh, you know, sub-zero temperatures, you know, six, eight feet of snow, uh, months and months without water, great heat temperatures, um, every element is against it. But you put up a windstorm. And it doesn't take a lot of wind. We would see gusts where they have windstorms when I lived in Southern California. And I saw some of these, you know, 50, 60, 70 foot palm trees fall over and they look like a pineapple at the root base. The roots were only a couple of inches. It was a really fat base. It kind of, I mean, it looked like just a pineapple. It was, there was not much of a root system at all. And I was really shocked at how easily some of these palm trees fell over. But if you look at the, the winds, the rains, the storm, the difficulties that um, the evergreen trees at the top of the Rocky Mountains, the windstorms don't blow them over. And they're very strong. And it seems that God is really after our root system and our roots to be in him, not in the things of the world, not in the comforts of the world, not in how well things go. But it seems like in the difficult times, as Issues in our life, you know, for a work of sanctification, which is separating us. So, I mean, sanctification means means to separate us from things in us that probably are not good for us. You know, issues in our own flesh, habits, patterns, growing up in dysfunctional families, whatever it is, that God is after our faith, that we're able to trust Him and love Him and draw close to Him. And it seems like in those really difficult times, that we have to get on our knees and really dig in deep and really draw close to God, that our root system is growing deeper and deeper. And it seems like sometimes the greater the difficulty, the greater the prayer and the more real the time that we spend in the word and that we spend time in prayer, you know, and that God meets us. But the calling out of God trying to draw people close to him that would know him intimately And when you get to know him greater and your root system starts growing deeper, you find greater satisfaction in Christ and less in the world. And I think that's really the intent is that our love of God would be so real and so great that it outshines and outdesires anything that this world would have to offer. And so we have a choice to make. You know, we can find the living God and his purpose for us in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that life is a, you know, in Christ is a purpose-filled life or a principle-filled life or good ideas and good bumper stickers and uh, models to live by. It literally is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in a personal relationship and getting to know him. You know, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. You know, if we're playing church, if we're learning on principles, if we're learning purposes, and it's not personal, man, it's empty. 
you know, and I'm not one of those guys who can, you know, I think I'm a pretty tough guy, you know, but I'm not one of those guys who you can give a list and say, okay, go do these 10 things. And it's like, you know, when I was a kid, it's like, dad, will you do these with me? I mean, I wanted some, I wanted to, somebody to join me. I wanted to do it with somebody. It wasn't just in the deed. You know, we have people that are, you know, more uh, task oriented and some relationship oriented. Well, Jesus Christ wants a relationship with us where, you know, he can accomplish the tasks that he desires in our life. So it's really twofold. We can find the fulfillment in being all that Christ has called us to be by having a stronger relationship with him. But often that strength does not come except in adversity. I think, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, that is, I, I find it's, I, I am, you know, it's not coincidence that you're talking about the same thing my pastor was talking about this morning um you know he was talking about essentially not only you know uh well i think where are we ephesians 2 ephesians no philippians 2 philippians 3 somewhere around there and he was talking about uh that passage where it talks about you know hey you know if i'm going to see the resurrection uh of Christ and I'm, and I'm in Christ and, and I'm going to have the ability to suffer with him. And, you know, he was saying, you know, a lot of people, they really do have that, you know, if nothing really happens to them, if they have a really cushy life and, and so on and so forth, they become really shallow. And, I, and, and, you know, and that, that's like huge. And especially today, you see a bunch of people that don't know, and I'm not even talking followers of christ quote unquote but i'm saying in general there are people that are so bound up in things that they don't that they they don't have any roots and jesus himself said i'm the vine you are the branches if any any branch that is found in me will you know uh, you know apart from me apart from me you can do nothing yeah you're quoting john 15 my favorite chapter in the bible yeah my favorite chapter, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, unless you abide in me, you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire. And so I think that there's been a bill of goods sold today in so many churches that, you know, just fill out the salvation card and come to church. And as long as we think you're doing okay, God approves. You know, it's, it's almost like this undefined type of Calvinism, you know, that, that the elect somehow has been euphemized to mean, you know, membership. You know, that if you're a member of this church and you've signed the card and you're doing and you're doing good and you're you're following the program, then if we're happy with you, then you gotta know that God's happy with you, you know. Check the box if you check the box, then automatically you get a pass from God. Yeah, yeah, because you're going to church, you believe in God and and uh you're trying to be a good person. And I think that's probably the biggest religion in America right now is I believe in God and I'm a good person, you know, and there's no moral absolutes. It's not on God's terms. It's on very much on their terms. And they're satisfied that they believe. Well, the scripture says that even the demons believe in God and shudder, you know, and so you know they ain't going to. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a mental, you know, acknowledgement of the existence of God is not enough alone to be saved. And I think that we all start shallow. I think it's the difficulties and the trials that actually give us roots. And because we have to learn how to depend on God and rely upon him. And I think one of the things you and I talked about was taking a boat ride with Jesus. I jokingly said, well, if Jesus ever uh, offers to take you a boat ride across the lake, don't go. <laughs> you know, and you, you thought about that, you know, because even, even the disciples, most of them were fishermen. They were professional fishermen. They spent their life on the water. 
and you look at all the boat rides that they took with Jesus, it, a lot of them, it didn't go well. I mean, he was asleep. There was a storm. They're sinking. And they cried, hey, Lord, we're, we're, you're asleep. God's asleep. I mean, I felt like that. Lord, you're not hearing me. I'm, there's a storm in my life, and you're not hearing me. You know? And he's like, well, he's, he's with us. Well, he's there, but he's not doing anything to calm the storm. And I want the storm calmed. You know? But Jesus is with me. Is that good enough? And I think that we get to a point where acknowledging that Jesus is with us, and when he's with us, we will not perish. But there are still storms. And I think this is probably a good crossover to, you know, really explaining what I was talking about. We have people that don't have storms in their life and people that do. And with the disciples, since they were professional fishermen, they knew the waters. They knew what a, when a storm was too much and when a storm wasn't. And, and God allowed the storms for even those professional fishermen to be rocked. They, were, they knew that they were in trouble. And I think when we have giftings, strengths, and abilities, that is easy for us to rely upon our gifts and strengths and abilities, and we don't really grow in our faith. And so I believe what happened was they were taken beyond their capacity to do anything to save themselves or help themselves or benefit themselves in that circumstance. And then literally out of their fear of we have no control and I can't do anything to help this situation, they cried out to God. And Jesus said, why did you fear? You know, and I'm thinking, well, give him a little bit of credit, you know. He said, why did you fear? Because he was with them and that alone should have been enough that his presence with them would not allow them to perish though they were in a storm. And so we're going to have storms. And um, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God is looking for a people who love him more than they love gold, which is perishable, than they love status, you know, than we love all, you know, the good things that come with that than all the comforts of the world. And, you know, the scripture says that they loved God even unto death. They loved him more than they loved their own lives. And so I believe that is the ultimate benchmark that Jesus is trying to get Christians to. I say trying because, well, we don't hear that kind of preaching about dying to self, dying to sin. Pray through till you break through. You know, do you know how to hear from God? Do you know how to lean on God in the storms? Do you know how to dig in? You know, and I think that really it's those storms and the difficulties that we have that cause us to draw in. And I don't know how many times that we as Christians, uh, especially newer Christians, feel like our Christianity is failing us, like something's wrong. Something's wrong with my Christianity because I'm having hard times. I'm having difficulty. There's things that, boy, why does it keep going this way? Something is wrong or lacking or less than because I don't see other friends of mine that are going through this, you know, and we feel like there's something wrong. In fact, you can even hear that from a lot of pulpits, the health, wealth, and nothing, you know, prosperity preaching that's going on. And that can lead people to believe the wrong things, you know, have wrong expectations. But what people need to know is, is that if you're in a storm, Jesus is with you. (laughs) You know, he's right there. He's right there in the boat with you. Not only do we think that something is wrong with Christianity, 
or the our Christianity. But a lot of times, then we sit there and we struggle with, I'm stuck in in this sin that I cannot seem to break free of, you know. And everybody else seems to have this this path figured out. Is there something wrong with me? Yeah, yeah. I I think that oftentimes we question our walk with God. If you're walking with Jesus, you know, sometimes in my own experience and in talking with close friends, when there was a difficulty and a struggle with sin, where I came to a place of like, Lord, you've delivered me from things before and you've set me free. And why am I struggling with this? It's like, I really, Lord, help me out of this. And I had to acknowledge that he loved me, even though my performance was lacking or I was struggling and he still loved me and his grace was sufficient. And I had a, and for me, it was an issue of, man, if I don't deal with this or if this doesn't get dealt with, are you still going to love me? Are you still going to, if I fail, are you still going to accept me the same? And it became an issue of the stability of my relationship in my standing with Christ or whatever. And I found that Jesus Christ wanted me to know that he loved me regardless. And I was still calling out to him, still crying out to him, still praying. And, you know, but there's times that sometimes sin doesn't have a hold of us and we're not seeking God like we should, that he Mm -hmm. does love us. And it's his love, his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so even if we're struggling with the sin, his grace is so sufficient that he's not going to beat you up for it. He, he does want us to repent. And first John one nine says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us. And so sometimes, you know, if he tells us we got to forgive our brother 70, you know, seven times seven, then what does that mean that he's willing to do for us? And so there are times that God was teaching me about his grace and the very difficulty and the struggle of my own sin. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that's a really good uh, point to leave off on. Mick, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your heart and sharing your story and uh, sharing what, what God has done in your life. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share uh, with people. And I I hope this resonates, you know, with some people. And, you know, I, I love to hear back, you know, and if anybody would like to email me at g2films at g-t-w-o films at gmail.com. Uh, if you wanted to contact me or you need a prayer support, you're more than welcome to let me know, or you can contact uh, Teresa. But I would really like to uh, know that Jesus was reaching people in their real need, you know, in their real depth and their real struggles, and to find that when it really comes to difficult times, that Jesus is there and the rubber will meet the road. Definitely. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, this is, I mean, this is, this is really what it's about. It's about dealing with the harder questions of what do I do when expectations aren't being met? And what do I do when everything I've built my life on, you know, the church stuff and the, and, but it's not working. How do I, how do I get past that? And I hope that today, you know, we got, we got some answers and, you know, Jesus is, is right there. Like even in the midst of, don't get me wrong. I will be the first to admit that a lot of times I sit there and I, and I question, you know, and a lot of times I'm questioning because I'm really trying to figure things out. So, but you know what? God has met me every single time. He's used something to kind of reinforce and reassure. So guys, 
this has been Unresolved Life. I'm Teresa Blaze. If this has been helpful or you know someone that could pretty much use this message, would you please click that little share button? And I would love for you to share it with someone. And if this is your first time hearing it, there is a little subscribe button in, in whatever podcast player you use. And if you hit it, then you, you will receive every single new episode of the Unresolved Life podcast. So with that, I'm Teresa Blaze. And we will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.